When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. Before we start, just a note that we discuss sexual assault and violence in this episode. I, Laura Weber Baldwin. I, Lucas Lorenzo Spencer. Take me. To be my wedded wife. To be my lawful wedded husband. For better, for worse. For richer, for poorer. The voices you're hearing are Luke and Laura, two beloved characters from one of the most popular soap operas of all time, General Hospital. This is their wedding, which took place in 1981. Unto thee, I pledge my troth. It may have been fictional, but this wedding, a two-day television event, was celebrated by fans as the wedding of the decade. More people watched it than the real wedding of Prince Charles and Princess Diana, which happened that same year. But what is often forgotten about this iconic soap opera couple is that just a few years before this, Luke sexually assaulted Laura. I'm Susie Banacarum. And I'm Jessica Bennett. This is In Retrospect, where each week we revisit a cultural moment from the past that shaped us. And that we just can't stop thinking about. Today, we're talking about how one of TV's most famous and beloved relationships started with a rape. But we're also talking about the incredible power soap operas once had in shaping public perception, for better and for worse. So, Susie, I know nothing about soap operas except that there is one starring a woman named Jessica Bennett who shares my Is that true? Uh, It's called Passions. Oh, Passions. That was a short-lived but very wild soap opera. She remains on Wikipedia. Anyway, were you a huge General Hospital fan? Like, how—what led you to this moment? So I wasn't a General Hospital fan. Specifically, I did occasionally watch it, but I was a huge soap opera fan. I— would come home in middle school and watch soap operas every afternoon. Okay. I was a Days of Our Life. Girl. One Life to Live girl, mm-hmm. which was kind of unusual because it was split. Days of Our Lives was on oh, NBC. Right. Do you remember the tagline for Days of Our Lives? No. Like sands through the hourglass. Oh, yeah, I do remember. Okay, so yes. are the Days of Our Lives. Days of Our Lives. 
I would come home from school and I would watch with a snack every afternoon. And then eventually I went to boarding school for high school. But when I came home, it was like something I looked forward to, like a summer or winter break indulgence. And I think that's kind of why I wanted to focus on this subject, this relationship, because soap operas were just so influential for generations of American girls and women. I mean, also some boys, obviously, but they really were geared towards women. And this particular plotline really came at the peak of their popularity. And so it seems worth exploring this relationship that was seen as so romantic, but started with an assault. As you say that, I'm remembering that I mentioned this to my mother-in-law recently, and she revealed that actually my husband, like the first three years of his life, she would constantly have this show on in the background while they were just, I don't know, hanging out, doing baby stuff or whatever. (laughs) And, you know, guess what? She remembers this relationship between Luke and Laura as completely romantic. I think that's what most people thought. Yeah, and they'd go on to have this decades-long relationship, so that makes a lot of sense. I mean, Laura is still actually a character on the show. But for those who didn't grow up on General Hospital, can you give us a little primer on what the show was? Yeah. It was a soap opera that started in 1963 and had its heyday in the 1980s. It was just hugely popular. It was about two families living in the fictional town of Port Charles, New York, and their various trials and tribulations. And not surprisingly, it was centered in a hospital. You might say it was the original Grey's Anatomy. And what went on there, sometimes it would go off in weird adventures. But that's really been the core of the show for the last 60 years. Okay, so Luke and Laura are characters who do not work in that hospital. Yeah, they don't work in the hospital. Not literally everyone on the show works in the hospital. Got it. They just live in Port Charles. Okay, and where should we begin in terms of their, can we call it a relationship? Yeah, I mean, it's not a relationship in the beginning, right? Because of the way it starts. But I actually want to begin with the wedding because I think that that's the moment that becomes such a cultural phenomenon. Right, right. It was a two-day event, so it's two hours long. Oh, wow. There's, like, really long stretches of them just, like, driving up in cars, Uh like uh the bridesmaids, the groomsmen. And then there's this really long stretch of them just, like, literally greeting the guests. It's like an actual wedding. Which is why it's fascinating that it was the most watched soap opera episode of all time. Wow. People loved it. They wanted to feel like they were there at this wedding because they were obsessed with this couple. Wow. Why were people so obsessed with this couple? Like, what was the appeal? So, I mean, it's hard to say. You, To some degree, you don't ever know why people become really attached to certain characters on television or certain storylines. But Laura is actually kind of an interesting character because mm-hmm. she's already become a pretty central character to General Hospital when Luke is introduced. Okay. And that's because they're trying to push towards younger audiences. Uh, So she's a teenager. And I think one of the quotes I read from a fan was like, we love her because she's 16 like us, but she lives the life of a 28-year-old. Okay. That's partially why I wanted to start with the wedding, because you kind of need to understand that this wasn't just like a popular episode of television. It was literally the closest thing Americans had to a royal wedding. And just to prove that I'm not exaggerating, Mm -hmm. more people tuned in to watch this fake wedding than tuned in when Meghan Markle and Prince Harry had their actual wedding in 2018. Whoa, that is wild. Yeah, and like local news sent correspondence to viewing parties like all across Manhattan from an office in Madison Avenue to a dorm at NYU. (laughs) Fans all across the country watched for the big moment. 
To them, it was their wedding. Of course we're excited. Not a dry eye in the house. I've been waiting for two years for them to get married. I feel like we're there with them. You like Luke? I love Luke. Why? He's sexy. We're confident we get together. It's been two years. It's confident. You know, they're very much in love, and it's a really beautiful thing. It was just this wildly popular thing even among celebrities. Like, Elizabeth Taylor was such a fan of the show that she requested to be on it. Okay. And made a guest appearance. And you can kind of see her in yes. the background of yes. some of these shots. She's playing a villain who is cursing them okay. on their wedding day. And also, this is the year where Diana and Charles get married. Okay. And they have a real wedding. Right. But then this is such a big moment that Diana sends champagne for this fake wedding. She sends the actors Whoa. champagne to congratulate them on their fake wedding. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Okay. Which, like, an amazing little detail here is that Jeannie Francis is underage when this wedding happens. Jeannie Francis, who plays Laura. Jeannie Francis, who plays Laura Spencer, is 20, and so they don't give she her her champagne. champagne. So they don't even give it to her. She doesn't know about <gasps> the champagne until years later when they're doing an interview. What kind of champagne do you think it was? I don't know. I don't know what kind of champagne it was, but um, I think Luke said he, like, kept the bottle. I mean, it's like, oh, wow. imagine okay. getting a bottle of champagne from who, what was, like, the most famous woman in the world at that time. So Okay, so the culture, the world is kind of treating this fake wedding like a real wedding. People took the day off work. <laughs> And there's, like, a note in the research that someone was like, hey, I told my boss I was going to a wedding because I was. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, like, bars played it. Like, people gathered okay. around in bars at lunchtime, in quotes, yep. to watch this wedding. And, I mean, a thing that I think people sort of forget, it's hard now to remember what a stranglehold soap operas had on the culture mm-hmm, in the mm-hmm. 80s. Or even television. Yeah, on television. I mean, they also made the most money. Like, I think part of the thing is, yes, a lot of people watch them, but more than that, for the networks, at ABC, for example, they made up 50% of revenue. So they had an enormous amount of power. And that's why suddenly you see all these actors, these famous actors who got their start on soap operas. It's because soap operas had money to pay actors. And primetime, you know, it had money, but not the way soap operas did. And that wasn't always the case, right? Soap operas initially were kind of seen as this thing for women, made by women, Mm -hmm. this sort of silly, ridiculous thing. And you know, it could be silly and ridiculous, and we can talk about that. But daytime was an enormously powerful arena at this point. I don't think I fully appreciated that, that soap operas had huge power to shape culture, and also that it was women both making and watching them. Yeah, initially soap operas were really watched by stay-at-home moms, and that's kind of why initially they're dismissed. Mm. But then this thing happens at the end of the 70s where a lot of women enter the workforce and there's a dip in viewership. Okay. But then the women who are staying at home start to allow their children to watch TV with them. That's kind of like a shift. And so a lot of girls and boys who are home with their moms become addicted to these shows. I see. And then it becomes common to be a college student who gathers around. Right. This is why there's viewing parties in these dorm rooms. Yes. You know, a common thing that was talked about among soap fans is that they would schedule their classes around their soap operas. Wow. It's such a different time. It's like worth noting that even though soap operas aren't that popular now, General Hospital is still on the air. Oh, right. I mean, people forget that, but it is the longest running scripted drama and the longest running American soap opera. How do you it, watch it that now? It started airing in 1963. You can watch it on television. What do you mean? You watch it on ABC. Like what cha- you do? Yeah. You can watch it in the afternoon on ABC. And by the way, two million people still do. Okay. I okay. mean, I think the thing that's different is there's like a lot of options now. Yeah. So it doesn't seem as popular. But right. two million people is not a paltry number. That's way more than most 
cable shows get. Right. But we don't think about it as a cultural phenomenon because it seems so low in comparison to the fact that in their heyday, right. one in 15 Americans watched General Hospital. <laughs> Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. <sighs> Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-lunch pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. So we're talking about a storyline on General Hospital involving the two most popular characters, Luke and Laura. These are characters America obsessed over in the 1980s. 30 million people tuned in to watch their wedding. But when you say out loud how that relationship began, which is with Luke assaulting Laura, it almost feels like it can't be true. Yeah, it is hard to believe. And we're about to walk you through the assault scene, which will make it feel, unfortunately, very real. But first, I want to give you some background on how we get to that scene. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to actually blow your mind <laughs> with so many things here, because to begin with, Luke is Laura's boss. Oh, okay. Where and, do they work? Um, At a disco. Laura is disco. 17. Luckily for Laura, she's already married. She's 17 and married. Oh, okay. It's probably um, a crime. So Laura and Scotty were actually like a pretty popular soap opera couple in their own right. But, you know, the whole thing on soap operas is if there's a happy couple, they must face like an extraordinary right. number of obstacles. Like they must get kidnapped. They must get cloned. So the obstacle that's thrown 
in Laura's and Scotty's relationship is Luke. There's a nurse at the hospital that's obsessed with Scotty. So she asks her brother Luke to come to town and try and seduce Laura. Okay. And Luke wasn't even really supposed to be a major character on the show. He was just brought in as a temporary character who was going to be a bad boy, an obstacle in Laura's relationship with her husband, Scotty. But the writers had planned from the beginning that he was going to rape her because they wanted that storyline for ratings. Wild. <laughs> Wild. The, the, the ratings have started to wane. You know, they're making an effort to bring in younger viewers. It's working a little bit with Laura, but this is the last rated TV show. Oh, so it's not doing good at this time. At this time, it's not doing it. It's the lowest rated soap opera on TV. It's like number 12 or something. Okay. I mean, there's okay. so many soap operas right. on TV at this time. And that's actually what makes it so remarkable that within three years, it's literally the number one show. Can you imagine being like, our show's doing really bad. What can we do to to get better ratings? I know. Let's stage a rape. (laughs) I mean, it is wild, but it does work. And I think one of the things that's interesting is the executive producer that was brought in at that time came from TV movies where rape was a much more common topic, Mm -hmm. but it was presented more from like the crime aspect. And so I think that's why... Not a love story. Not a love story. And I think that's why she has this idea to introduce this rape and knows that that is, like, popular with viewers. That must be kind of what she's thinking when she introduces this character. Okay, so this new 32-year-old character, Luke, ends up hiring 17-year-old Laura at his nightclub. Yes, so Laura has gone to Luke, who runs the big disco in town, to ask for a job, and he hires her and... Meanwhile, he has some shady backdoor dealings with the mob. That's why he's, like, such a bad boy. And that's his backstory. So the context of this scene is that Luke has gotten mixed up with these mobsters who are forcing him to kill a local politician. And he feels like if he kills this other person, he will also be killed. Okay. And so this scene picks up where she has seen him crying because he is like, I'm a dead man walking. Okay. How come you crying? I wasn't crying. Yes, you were. When you didn't know that I was here. First, I was like, oh, that's kind of progressive of them. Like, he's shedding oh, tears. I'm, yeah. Look, I'm sure that it's not going to be so progressive. It, is, it can be worked out in time. Time is what I don't have. He's sort of setting it up that, like, if you don't have time, then you must have the woman you love. And that's definitely how the story plays, that he knows he's running out of time. He's so in love with her right. that he must have her this one time. He, he has to act on this love, lust. I said I was going to be dead. Killed, little lady. Can't you get that through your head? Now get out of here. So he's pushing her away because essentially the message is he can't control himself. And then he professes his love. Damn it, Laura. I'm in love with you. No, I don't don't think it's really love, Luke. Oh, yes. Yes, that's what it is. And then randomly in the middle of all of this, Luke walks over dramatically to the record player, flips it on, and a song comes on, and he turns to her and says, I can't die without holding you in my arms just one time. Dance with me, Laura. No. You really feel that the tension is building, And then things clearly unravel. Luke, let me call a taxi, please. And so you don't see the rape itself. Let me go. But it's unambiguous. Like, it is definitely a rape. Her clothes are ripped. She's looking upset. She's crying. She's She's clearly said no ahead of time. 
Yeah, she's screaming no when it yes. starts, in quotes. It's a kind of jarring moment because it happens pretty suddenly. Like, you go from being like— I actually did like, get goosebumps watching it. Yeah, because you're sort of like, oh, it's going to be a seduction, and then suddenly it's a rape. Yep. And cut to disco lights, there's a commercial break, we come back, we're back on the disco lights. It's like very yep. surreal yep. kind of vibe. And then the thing that really drives home that this is a rape is she's now lying on the ground. She is cowering. Her clothes she's are crying. torn. Her clothes are torn. He is standing above her. He seems like he's in a bit of a daze. And the phone rings, and you sort of get the sense that that's supposed to, like, break his yes. reverie. Yes. And she sneaks away. And it's her husband. And it's her Scotty. husband on the phone, and he's like, have you seen Laura? And Luke lies about it. So that's kind of the acknowledgement that he knows he's done something wrong because yes. he's lying about whether or not she's been there. And that's the scene. Okay, that was a lot. But one other strange detail I have to mention is, so that song that's playing in the background when the assault occurs, this is the song that Luke kind of dramatically goes over to the record player and turns on, and it's this jazz funk instrumental hit. This is a real song. It's called Rise. And that song then goes on to become number one on the Billboard charts. I know, it's crazy. And like for a jazz funk instrumental, that was as rare then as it is today. Yeah. And it's funny, actually, I don't know if you remember this. You called me and I was in Palm Springs with a friend. Yeah. And in a weed shop, naturally. <laughs> of course. Um, That's where either of us would be at yeah, any exactly. given moment. And we had just gotten out of the car where that song was playing. And this friend of mine who happens to have written her, like, college thesis on rape and soap operas, side note, maybe we should call her, is like, oh, do you know what this song is? And she explains this to me, and I'm like, what? And then you called me, and you're like, remember that moment in General Hospital, which, of course, I didn't really remember. But this song goes on to be at the top of all of the charts. And actually, our younger listeners uh, might recognize it because 20 years later, Puff Daddy actually puts a clip of it into Biggie's song, Hypnotize. Oh, yeah. Excellent song, by the way. Which, like, I can hear that in the back of my mind as we're listening to this. So it's sampled in Hypnotize in 1997 because Puffy later says in an interview, like, this was the song of the summer when he was, like, 10 years old in New York. Like, all Everyone the kids was were, like, jamming it. and roller skating to this song, which, of course, was popular because of this rape scene. How do we get from this clearly very traumatic scene between Luke and Laura, which happens in 1979, to then this star-studded royal-level wedding two years later? That's the crazy part, right? As I mentioned, Luke was supposed to be a temporary character. He was supposed to come on, you know, have this violent scene with Laura, and then he was supposed to be killed. Mm -hmm. And what happens is audiences respond so well to him. And again, let me acknowledge how wild that is. He was so immediately popular that producers decided they wanted to find a way to keep him on the show. Wait, and how do they know he's so popular? Well, Partially because the way soaps worked is since they were being produced so quickly uh -huh. and because they're on every day, yep. the network is able to gauge almost immediately audience sentiment. Okay. So they're using actual data that's showing them that Luke is quite popular. Okay. So they're um, like, we got to keep Luke. Yeah. This gets some coverage at the time. The ratings weren't good before this. The ratings start to creep up. So they do not kill him off. Okay. But that leaves them... With, with a problem. A little bit of a conundrum, which is if audiences are falling in love with Luke and 
really feel drawn to this romance between him and Laura Mm -hmm. and want Laura to end up with Luke, not Scotty, how do they reconcile that (laughs) with the violent rape that That has has occurred and also that they have acknowledged as such? And just to really put a fine point on the fact that the show never really tried to make the rape ambiguous initially, she goes to crisis counseling after this on the show. Like, they do not initially shy away from the fact that it's a rape. They will eventually and will get into all of that. But when it happens, it is really clear what's happened. Tony Geary, the actor who played Luke, actually says in an interview at some point, we never expected the audience to be like, on Luke's side. And so we did a rape, and then the audience fell in love with Luke, and that wasn't our fault, so what were we supposed to do? And, like, maybe the thing you were supposed to do is be like, hey, guys, rape is bad. Right. But instead, they are moving the needle over and over again until they literally reshoot the scenes. They literally go back. So that they can appear in flashbacks? So that the scenes they're showing for flashbacks aren't... As disturbing. Oh, wow. They're literally softening the thing over and over and over again. And the character is being gaslit in real time. The audience is being gaslit in real time. Maybe you should name me as the rapist. We put you in jail. Well, maybe that's where I belong. No, don't say that. You're not a criminal. Then, by the time the wedding happens, the thing that's kind of interesting is that by the time... 30 million people are watching the wedding. A lot of those people have never seen the rape. They don't even know how the relationship began. Right. And they have only seen these sanitized, softened, more romantic flashbacks. And actually, they even removed the song. They stopped playing the song because the song is like so (gasps) associated with the rape. Oh, wow. So interesting. And when they're like reshooting these scenes and softening them up, There's a thing that happens that's actually quite controversial for the people at the time who remember that it's a rape. I mean, there is an audience that remembers. And at one point, Laura is narrating the scene, and she describes it as the first time Luke and I made love. Oh, wow. And there is a reaction. It's not like a huge national reaction or anything, but there are people at that time who are like, what is happening? And actually, we know one of those people, one of our executive producers, Cindy Levy. Yeah, Cindy is a journalist, the former editor of Glamour magazine, and the co-founder of The Meteor. But most relevant to this conversation, she was a General Hospital super fan. I started watching it probably in 1979 and watched it with varying levels of religious devotion until around 1984 or 85. I was part of that Generation X, so-called latchkey kid generation. And so I used to come home and General Hospital was kind of my babysitter. (laughs) Like my parents were divorced and my mom worked and I would race home from school so that I could turn on ABC Channel 7 and watch it at three o'clock, usually with a humongous bowl of coffee ice cream. It was like (laughs) a comfort hour for me. Why did you love it so much? Um, It was just fascinating. I just had never seen anything like it before. I remember these super adult plots, prostitution. There was Bobby Spencer, who used to be a quote-unquote hooker, and there were a lot of plots around infidelity. And then there was Luke and Laura. Laura was supposed to be sort of in her late teens, even though she seemed incredibly glamorous and grown up to me at the time. 
Do you remember like, what you initially thought when Luke showed up? I have a vague memory that Luke Spencer was supposed to be a kind of bad boy character. He ran a disco. Mostly I remember his kind of open neck shirts and his permed hair, although I didn't know it was permed at the time. But he had kind of an allure. You've told me in the past that you were watching the episode when Luke raped Laura. Can you describe that experience? So there's this one Friday. I couldn't tell you what time of year it was. I couldn't tell you the month, but I know it was a Friday afternoon, which is when they always did the big happenings or cliffhangers. And I came home from school. I was watching by myself. And Luke was at his club, Luke's place. And Laura, she was there. And Luke is clearly in love with Laura and telling her how much he wants her. And then all of a sudden, it clearly becomes a rape scene. And I don't know if I even knew the word rape then, but I knew it was violent. And it was really an unsettling scene because they weren't shying away from how violent it was. He's like pushing her down on the ground. She's saying no. And the next scene, as I remember it, she's walking around outside and she's dazed and she's clearly been through a violent act. And yet, was it violent? Because the messed up thing is it's also portrayed as romantic. Like, he wants her so much, he can't stop himself. And he doesn't stop himself. And he keeps going. That scene definitely led me to think that it had something to do with desire. It was a bad thing, and it hurt her, and that was clear. But it hurt her because he loved her so much, he couldn't help but hurt her. There's also this sub-theme that she kind of pities him because poor guy, you know, he can't help it. And I think now, seen in the cold light of day and a bunch of decades more experience, like that's a very classic way that women are thought to think about bad men or violent men, that they can't help it. And are you really going to hold them accountable for their actions? Poor guys, they've suffered enough. But I didn't see any of that at the time. I just sort of witnessed that they continued to fall in love and that it was like hella romantic. Were you rooting for them? I was totally rooting for them. I mean, not then that day of the rape, but as time went on and, and everybody was rooting for them. And, you know, it culminated in this wedding, which I was probably too young to really care about. But man, that wedding was a really big deal. Do you remember talking to your friends about it, talking to them about the rape? No, I don't remember talking to any friends about it at the time. But a couple of years after that scene aired on General Hospital. And it was still kind of the only reference point I had for rape. I was walking home from school and I was on this sort of like backwoods road and this guy pulled up next to me in a Trans Am. I was probably 13 at the time. And he had his pants down around his knees and, you know, was flashing me, said something to me. I screamed, ran away, ran home, called my friend, And I said, you're not going to believe what just happened to me on the way home from school. I was like shaking. I'm sure my voice was trembling. And she said, did you get raped? And it was like we didn't know enough to know how awful that would have been. Like to her, it was this 
dangerous, alarming, but still kind of hot thing that could have happened. Looking back on it now, how do you think about it? My friends and I talk about this all the time, like my friends who I grew up with, like, can you believe that Luke raped Laura? Nope, still can't believe that Luke raped Laura and that that's what led to this relationship. And particularly over time, like I stopped watching soap operas probably when I was in high school. But when I look back on it, it's such a fundamental messing with how a whole generation of girls who weren't really getting any kind of education around consent, all the things we talk about now with varying degrees of success we weren't talking about at all then. And it's such a devastating message about what a guy will do if he loves you enough, like he's going to hurt you. And, you know, you should forgive him for that because poor guy. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-lunch pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand-new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This storyline between Luke and Laura was obviously very serious subject matter, but one of the things that occurred to me when we started to work on this episode is that now we're sort of looking back on it and talking about it in a serious way, but the reason soap operas were often dismissed is that they did have, and I just want to make sure we don't lose sight of this, bananas. 
absolutely wild storylines like demonic possessions okay. and, you know, clones. Like, you would get in an accident, someone would clone you, you'd have a baby, it would turn out to be the devil. There was, like, a storyline on One Life to Live where they time-traveled. I mean, there were these just, like, insane storylines. And Luke and Laura weren't an exception. They would go on these Raiders of the Ark-type adventures. But then there is this period in the late 80s and 90s where it becomes quite fantastical. Okay. That is partially why soap operas get this rap as a silly, sort of cheesy thing. Right. But at the same time, there were a lot of social issues are introduced, Mm -hmm. partially because women are not being hired to make prestige television. They're not being hired on primetime shows. They are making these soap operas. They are hiring other women to be the writers. And so a lot of topics that those women are interested in. Oh, that's really interesting. So this is the place that a woman showrunner or a woman writer could actually thrive. And yeah, thrive and actually explore real issues that women were facing. Domestic violence, addiction. So you sort of have this idea, oh, it would have been handled more sensitively. But I think this just reflects how people genuinely think right. about rape. And that's, yeah, that's interesting, too. It's like, actually, maybe this is more accurate to what we really did think of it at the time. Well, and also, maybe this was a sensitive handling for the time. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe the way this would have been handled in previous iterations is she wouldn't have been believed or she yeah. would have been dismissed. Like, there is an attempt made here to handle this with sensitivity. They have... Jeannie Francis and Tony Geary, the actors, meet with a social worker before they tape the scene. I mean, there is an acknowledgement that this is a difficult subject to tackle. It's just interesting that even their version of sensitivity Mm -hmm. is so baked into the era that it represents that it still reveals these really outdated notions about rape. I can give you my perspective here. So we did end up calling your friend Danielle Thompson, who you mentioned at the top of the show. Oh, good. I'm so glad. The history of soaps is so vast and expansive that it's like saying, let me tell you the history of the world in like five minutes. For those listening, this is Danielle Thompson. She's a longtime television writer and and researcher and the person that I basically go to whenever I have a really intricate question about TV of the past. So what did she say? Well, first, she said that it wasn't her thesis that she wrote about soaps and sexual assault storylines. But it was a very long college essay, so you weren't that far off. I mean, close enough. But besides being able to share what she learned about this very specific topic, she just has this crazy extensive knowledge about the topic, and she was such a huge soap fan, so she really delivers. I think that you have to remember that soaps don't just have love in the afternoon. In fact, that's actually why I stopped watching soaps, because there was not enough romance. It's kind of known for dealing with serious issues always, and sometimes they get it right, and sometimes they don't. But like, in 1973, the first legal abortion on television, shown on all my children. The first gay teenager on TV, that was Billy Douglas, played by Ryan Phillippe on One Life to Live, 1992. You have the first gay marriage in 2009 and All My Children, the first transgender coming out storyline in 2006. So boppers are actually the place where serious issues are addressed. And so just to like put Luke and Laura's scene in context of the time, the phrase date rape was not even coined until 1975 by Susan Brown Miller in her book Against Our Will. And so for 
further context, it was 1982 when Ms. Magazine ran what was like a groundbreaking study about the subject of date rape, which was still not really known as a concept because most people at the time thought of rape as being something that was committed by a stranger and not someone that was known. So I think in that context, Luke and Laura is kind of radical because it's bringing up an issue that was something people had not really understood or known that is of extreme relevance to its viewers, which are primarily women. And I think what's interesting about Luke and Laura is that the character was never intended to be a romantic companion for her. This was definitely not the first act of sexual violence in soaps, but it is, from my understanding, the first relationship where the relationship followed the act of sexual violence instead of preceded it. But I don't necessarily think that it kind of sparked off this new trope of sexual assaults in soap operas. I think if anything, it kind of brought in the conversation in a way that changed it. And because awareness grew, I think that storylines about it became more pervasive. So one question I have is, all right, so multiple decades have passed. It was actually just a couple of years ago that it was the 40th anniversary of the wedding. And so there was all this sort of a quote unquote in retrospect yeah. coverage of it. And Jeannie Francis spoke about it. So are those who were involved in the show at the time expressing different perspectives on it when they look back today? Yeah, 100%. I think they're expressing different perspectives and also admitting that they had different perspectives even at the time. Okay. It's also worth noting that the show itself has acknowledged and revisited the assault a few times since it originally aired. Obviously, you know, we think about these things differently now, and the show is aware of that. And so there have been a few times in the show's history where they tried to confront that. And there was this scene between Luke and Laura at some point where they discussed what happened, and she confronts him many years later, and he apologizes. We should talk about what happened that night, that, that one bad night 20 years ago. Eventually, Luke and Laura go on to have kids. So, you know, as the show is evolving, there's also a confrontation between Luke and his son with Laura. Strangely, their kid is named Lucky, and he confronts Luke about assaulting his mother. You're not going anywhere until we have this out. What are you going to do, Dad? What? If I walked out the door, what would you do? Force me to stay? Why? Because you're stronger than me? What do you know? And Luke, of course, apologizes again here because it's always part of a redemption arc they're trying to give him. You were conceived, born, and raised in love. Nothing but love. But what's also happened is that I think there was a lot of questions about this rape when the wedding occurred. It's not like journalists who were covering the wedding at the time didn't ask about it. Mm -hmm. And the onus was really put, especially on Jeannie Francis, who was quite young, to sort of explain mm. this thing. She was often asked about it, and she felt like she had to defend it. And I think Tony Geary also felt that way. And neither of them seemed like they really appreciated being put in that position, to right. be honest. Right. They both left the show not long after the wedding and then returned. Oh, for those later storylines. For those later okay. storylines. I mean, not just for those later storylines, but then they just returned to the show in the 90s. And she's gotten to the point where she very openly now, even though she's still on the show today, rejects having been put in this position and has said, and I'll read a quote from her, as a young kid at 17, I was told to play rape and I played it. I didn't even know what it was. But at 17, you follow the rules, you do as you are told, and you aim to please. And now at 60, I don't feel the need to defend that anymore. I think that story was inappropriate. I don't condone it. 
It's been a burden that I've had to carry to try to justify that story. So I'm not doing that anymore. That's interesting. And, you know, to think about how these things play out differently today, it was interesting you mentioned that at the time the actors yeah. playing Luke and Laura actually saw a social worker to talk about the playing of this. But now you would have an intimacy coordinator on set. Yeah, it would be a totally different ballgame. Or you'd hope that it would be a totally different ballgame. I think, look, Jeannie Francis is in her 60s now, right? She's had 40 years to reflect on this thing that happened to her. But she was a 17-year-old girl playing with a 30-something-year-old actor, right? right? right. I mean, just the whole thing would be handled so differently now because— In addition to the rape, there would be the statutory issues. There just is, I think, a better understanding of how power dynamics work. Like, it wasn't even really brought up at the time that he was her boss. It's also like, were this scene to play out today, there would be a concurrent dialogue happening on Twitter and elsewhere about how it was handled immediately in real time. And so you'd be having to preemptively prepare for the criticism that you knew you were going to face and really make sure it was handled delicately. Yeah, I mean, an interesting thing is, is did you see The Accused when I came out? Yes. That was sort of like one of the first depictions I ever saw of gang rape. And now the dialogue around that movie has actually even shifted. Like, Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of fascinating because I've seen dialogue about how it's too violent. It's presented Mm -hmm. in too jarring Mm -hmm. a way. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's like triggering. And I think that's really interesting because the reason that movie was so groundbreaking when it happened is because it was presented in so violent a way. It sort of forced you to face the reality of that violence. But now, if you played it so violently, they would say it was exploitative, right? Like, if you did that scene now, you would want to handle it with more sensitivity because we get that rape is violence. We don't need to, like, shove it in your face that same way. But that cultural context is important. When that movie happened, people didn't really understand how violent rape could be. So it had to be so aggressive. I think now, too, storylines are forced to grapple with the enduring trauma of something like that happening. Right. And and that has to be written in. Yes. And I think, let's be honest— We've all, or most of us, have watched many years of Law & Order SVU. Mm -hmm. And that has, in many ways, changed the way that rape is handled on other shows. That's an interesting example of a show that not only has kind of moved the needle in terms of how a lot of us understand sexual assault, but has actually changed the way other shows handle it because it has really introduced a lot of ideas into the culture that are now very commonly acknowledged as facts. And... Those things continue to evolve. Okay, so I feel like we need to take a moment to just pause and re-acknowledge what we're talking about. This show is about how we internalize these messages. Right. So look, like 1981, I was not born when this hit. Like, this was a little bit before our time. But when you think about the time when we were sexually coming of age, like how the strands of this might have still impacted us in the way that we saw ourselves in the culture. Like, yes, was it okay for guys to be really aggressive when they wanted to pursue you? I mean, I definitely felt that the answer to that was yes. I think I put up with a lot of things that now I see in my niece, like that she would never put up with. You know, we just accepted a certain level of behavior that... We wouldn't now. No. And Now it's understood that this is completely unacceptable. Mm -hmm. But, you know, at that time, I think people just really didn't understand what the boundaries were. Like, this reminds me of this crazy, jarring anecdote that I read, which has really stayed with me. It's that Tony Geary, the actor who 
plays Luke, told the story that when he would go to, like, soap opera conventions and events after the scene aired, women would come up to him and say, rape me, Luke. Oh, my God. Yeah, and it's like a thing that he would tell because he was so disturbed by it. But I think it says so much about what we've been talking about here, which is that there's this underlying sense that a woman should, like, want to be found irresistible. Right, and it just introduces this idea that men express love or this, like, need through violence, and that if you experience it as violence and not love, the problem is with you and not the thing that's happened Mm. to you. Right. I'd be really interested to hear from Cindy as someone who actually lived through this. I think I learned that as a woman, it's incredibly flattering and important to be desired by a man. And that even if that quote-unquote desire is violent and hurts you or hurts other people, that like on some level, that's okay. I feel like in a way, I'm a best case scenario. I had a very feminist mom who did not truck with those kinds of stereotypes at all. I'm lucky that in those years after watching that on General Hospital, I didn't have any kind of rape experience myself, which is unusual, I think, for women. But still on some level, I think it just underlined this very present message in our culture that you're kind of nobody unless a guy has overwhelming desire for you. I mean, when you think about it, General Hospital taught a whole generation of women like me, girls at the time, what relationships were, what family secrets were about, what infidelity was, and also what sexual violence is. And I don't think it taught us accurately. This is In Retrospect. Thanks for listening. Is there a cultural moment you can't stop thinking about and want us to explore in a future episode? Email us at inretropod at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at inretropod. If you love this podcast, please rate and review us on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen. If you hate it, you can post nasty comments on our Instagram, which we may or may not delete. You can also find us on Instagram at Jessica Bennett and at Susie B NYC. Also check out Jessica's books. Feminist Fight Club, and this is 18. In Retrospect is a production of iHeart Podcasts and The Meteor. Lauren Hansen is our supervising producer. Derek Clements is our engineer and sound designer. Sharon Atia is our researcher and associate producer. Our executive producer from The Meteor is Cindy Levy. Our executive producers from iHeart are Anna Stumpf and Katrina Norvell. Our artwork is from Pentagram. Additional editing help from Mary Dew and Mike Coscarelli. Sound correction and mastering by Amanda Rose Smith. We are your hosts, Susie Banacarum and Jessica Bennett. We're also executive producers. For even more, check out inretropod.com. See you next week. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. 
this time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Willa Paskin, the host of Dakota Ring, Slate's podcast about cracking cultural mysteries. On Dakota Ring, we dive down rabbit holes and obsessively explore questions hiding in plain sight. Like, why has slow dancing gone out of style? And when did we all become obsessed with hydration? And where did the word mullet, you know, to describe a hairstyle, come from? That's Dakota Ring, named one of the best podcasts of 2023 by The New York Times. Listen to new episodes every two weeks and make sure to follow us so you never miss one.